Chapter 63 Dark Principle Before Demon Weatherwax could eat Nix's face off, the fourth person stumbled into McGuckin's office and swore. Help! Nix managed to get out. Weatherwax had either fallen unconscious again or was playing a possum. Had the demon taken over Clyde's body after he died? Or was the principal still in there somewhere? Nix heard dialing, then a familiar voice. Paramedics needed at Woods Cross High School immediately. How should I know? There's three people lying on top of each other in the vice principal's office. Do you have to know their life stories before you send an ambulance? Special Agent Gary Lipp of Homeland Security. Would you like my badge number, or are you planning to do your job? Gary hung up and knelt next to Nix. Nice to see you again, Phoenix. An aide screamed from the doorway. More shouting came from the hall. About time people started paying attention. Who are you? asked the aide in an accusatory tone. Gary stood. I could tell you, but you'd have no way to verify it before the police got here. I won't even show you my badge. They're ridiculously easy to fake. It's probably best if you just keep people away from the area and send someone to show the paramedics in when they arrive. Nix had no desire to finish the school day, but she couldn't go home yet. She still needed to patch up her relationship with her mom. That meant walking to the trailer after school. She'd have to stick it out. Sixth period was half over when she stumbled into algebra. A twenty-something guy sat with his feet up on Mr. Slowey's desk. He glanced up from his cell phone. How's it going? Nix pushed her shell-shock feelings aside and pasted on a fake smile. Um, hello. Are you a student teacher? Substitute, but nobody left a lesson plan, so I guess you guys got the day off. He went back to typing on his phone. Nice. Mr. Slowey was probably possessed, too. Were any of the WCHS faculty not being controlled by demons? Nix was starting to reconsider her decision about Italy. She had to stop thinking about demons. Every time she pictured McGuckin diving toward her, she felt her blood pressure spike. She found Jordan near the back having an animated conversation with Walter Snodgrass. Cut in the hat, Jordan said. Hands down. Walter shook his head. Episode one. Novelizations don't count. Nick sat, a little sad that Jordan hadn't asked about the band-aid on her crown. Granted, her head had been bandaged quite a bit lately. How about you? Jordan asked her. What's the worst book to movie adaptation? Harry Potter, Nick said, somehow maintaining her smile. J.K. Rowling should have sued Chris Columbus for destroying her vision. And here I thought you had a crush on Daniel Radcliffe, Jordan said with a chuckle. How was detention? Educational? He raised an eyebrow. Nix lowered her head and stifled a sob. I'm pretty sure the principal and possibly the vice principal are demon spawn. Come on, Jordan said. Clyde isn't that bad. They're both in the hospital. Didn't you hear the sirens? Jordan sat up straighter. Several other students turned toward her. Seriously? Walter asked loudly. What happened? Nix tried to slow her breathing. She hadn't planned to include the entire classroom in the conversation, but they would probably find out eventually. McGuckin tripped over me and hit his head on a filing cabinet, Nick said in a slightly louder voice. Weatherwax came to help and had a heart attack. The sub swung his feet down from the desk. No vice principal? I think it's time we took this party outside. While the students gathered their things and filed out of the classroom, Jordan grabbed Nick's around the shoulder. Did you attack McGuckin? He whispered. A bittersweet thrill moved through her, like she was drowning in half-melted ice cream. Weird. It was probably PTSD. She put her head down on the desk. 
Jordan, you know I love you, but I just can't right now. Can we pretend like our lives are completely normal? Just for the rest of the day. I promise I'll tell you everything as soon as I get my sanity back. You love me? On a scale of one to Mr. Radcliffe? You know what I mean. Nix put her head down on her desk. Do I? Jordan! I need to reset my brain. In fact, I kind of want to be alone right now. No offense. We'll meet up in Homac. She started to say something else, but realized he had already left. Great. Now Jordan's feelings were probably hurt. But if Nix tried to process a single thought more, her mind would literally short-circuit. The desk was getting hot and sweaty under her cheek, but she couldn't muster the energy to switch sides. An image popped into her head, Weatherwax's face slowly turning toward her. Stop. Thinking. That vacant look in his eyes. The yellow-toothed smile. Please make it stop, Nix prayed. A few moments later, she was asleep. Jordan woke her before seventh period and thankfully didn't pester her for answers. Nix felt doubly guilty about shutting him out, but it couldn't be helped. She was still not stable enough to think about getting attacked by McGuckin, let alone talk about it. The only thing that soothed her brain was blessed silence, of which there was none in Homek. On the plus side, Ms. Winkle seemed so excited about pumpkin rolls that Nix was able to hide on the far side of the fridge without being missed. But the intrusive thoughts kept coming. She needed a distraction one that didn't involve noisy, jostling cooks. Nix grabbed a notebook from Jordan's bag and wrote her Argus letter, including the hero spotlight. She was in the process of replacing the three-letter words with five when Jordan peeked around the fridge. Sorry to bother you, Nix, he said, but you need to tell Ms. Winkle her boob is escaping. Nix's anger flared. Excuse me? How dare you? Breast, sorry, but I can't tell her. I'm a guy. Nick stood to get a look, but Ms. Winkle was surrounded by students trying to get a turn with the sugar sifter. Tell her what? Go look, it's only a matter of time before someone says something and everyone notices. Escaping breast? How could anyone not notice that? But when Nix got close enough, she saw what Jordan was talking about. Ms. Winkle appeared less than symmetrical in the upper region. It took Nix a moment to find the runaway, near her midsection. Nix waved her hands, caught Ms. Winkle's eye, and pointed subtly at her own chest. Ms. Winkle looked down. She hurried over to her desk and pretended to search a lower drawer. When she straightened, she was more or less balanced. Nix expected a wink, or even a nod as a thank you. But Ms. Winkle appeared truly shaken. Had she been patting her bra to increase her cup size? That didn't seem like something she'd do. Thoughts of Ms. Winkle's secrecy made Nix even more depressed. She couldn't stay another minute in that noisy, pumpkin-scented classroom. And with both principals in the hospital... Nix left Jordan with the Argus letter and slipped out the door. On the walk to the trailer, Nix also made a point to not think about principals, demons, and sensitive best friends, or even Argus. She mostly thought about how nice the air felt, and what she was going to say to her mother at the family reunion. As she expected, Nix found the trailer empty and locked. What surprised her was that the windows and front steps had been replaced. When the wax lived there, the landlord hadn't bothered to fix the death trap stairs, so it was a safe assumption he was preparing to rent it out to someone else. Nix had half a mind to break a few windows, but refrained in the interest of time. She had to find her mother before dark. On the way to the graveyard, Nix peeked in the merry market, the laundromat, and even took a long-distance gander at the taco stand. No large women in turbans. She also didn't recognize the girl wearing the floppy taco hat, probably an eighth grader. Was Beryl in the back playing with the sour cream gun? Nix didn't stop in to say hi. She had a lot of contrite making up to do, and the sooner she found her mother, the sooner she could start debasing herself. 
The graveyard was empty, except for two enormous opossums that appeared to have just woken up. Nyx took off down the hill before they could catch her scent, or spiritual essence, and give chase. She still wasn't sure if they'd eat her, given the chance, and Mrs. Cherry wasn't around to distract them. What a waste of an afternoon. A week ago, Nyx would have left her body in her bedroom and scoured the town with some efficiency, but that was before she realized bodies were in high demand, especially healthy ones, stupid demons. She should have gone to rehearsal. It would have been the best distraction of all. At the moment, Jordan was probably insulting people with ancient scripture. Tiago would be cracking jokes with the piranhas while Sarah watched him, pretending to work on the set. At least Sarah was with friends and not up at her house waiting to be kidnapped. Wow, it had been a long while since Nix had put much thought into trying to catch Pillowhead. After the horrific last few weeks, a dead dog and stolen diary felt like minor inconveniences. So someone wrecked Sarah's room. Whoopee. A thousand-year-old evil was trying to take over Wood's Cross and metabolize Nix's soul. Nix was walking along the cemetery road when filthy little dog trotted up beside her. It was whitish and wore a sneaker around its neck. Oh, sure, Nix said. Stop running for me as soon as I get new shoes. She knelt and scratched behind its ears. Poor little guy. The laces were very tight around his throat. He was probably having a hard time eating. The knots were practically welded together now. She needed a pocket knife. The thought of using her teeth to try to undo the worst of the knots disgusted her. But apart from carrying the dog across town to the cherries, Nix didn't know what else she could do. She knelt beside the dog. You know, a dip in the river wouldn't kill you. The dog bit at his shoulder, hopefully fleas and not ticks. With one hand massaging his matted fur, Nix brought her face in close and nearly gagged at the smell. She held her breath and began working at the large tangle of knots with her teeth. Sneaker seemed to like the attention and took to licking her face. Ew. His tongue smelled like freshly discarded band-aids. After a moment, Nix realized she wasn't alone. Love Zerby sat atop an adult-sized tricycle, watching Nix with a smirk. You know, they have laws about public displays of affection. Chapter 64. Dibble's Mistake That night, Nix called Jordan from the Cherry's phone and told him everything. She received very satisfying responses in return. She spoke of McGuckin's accusations, attack, and abrupt collapse. He's totally possessed. You probably melted his brain somehow. Weatherwax's possible reanimation by evil entities. You should buy a gun. She also told Jordan the surprising news she'd learned from Mrs. Zerby that afternoon. The conversation went something like this. Love is our landlord. No wonder nothing ever got fixed. She's been giving my mom parenting lessons. But Patty has never been a great listener. She's staying at Love's house. Is there room for three, or are you headed to the group home? Love is going to discuss our living accommodations with my mom. You're still welcome to chill at my place for a while. Jordan had a few things of his own to share. My dad checked on the principles. McGuckin went home, apparently fine. Probably hunting me right now. Clyde has an ICD in his chest that literally restarts his heart when it fails. Nice, so he's basically immortal. Ms. Winkle must have gotten a mastectomy. Jordan, how do you know more about breasts than me? I got close enough to check her hair. It's a wig. Wait, she's possessed by a demon now? I think I could actually smell the chemotherapy on her. Cancer? Is she going to die? The cherries didn't seem quite as interested in the demon principles as Jordan had. Apparently, they'd already written the town off as lost. You sure you won't reconsider coming with us? Patrick asked in a low voice. 
Nix glanced into the kitchen, where Fawn swept with her earphones in. I can't leave everyone I care about just because things are getting freaky. Let us know. We have three tickets. Can't you take Fawn with you? It seems pretty harsh to dump her in a group home. Patrick sneered. No offense, but you'll understand when you have your own teenagers. He stood up from his easy chair, but paused. That Fincher woman called earlier. Her boss delayed the article about Fawn until next week. Why would Inky feel the need to call and tell us? Does she think we're sitting on the porch waiting for the newspaper every morning? Patrick shrugged. Sounded like they had something else in the works. Or maybe she just lost interest after you wouldn't dish any dirt on your foster sister. That woman was awful. She has plenty of dirt on Brian now, so she shouldn't need to target Fawn anymore. Unless Inky was also possessed by a demon. In which case, she'd want to make Fawn angry enough to murder her foster family. Nix really could have used one of those seer stones they'd talked about at the library. She was tired of not knowing which of her acquaintances was trying to kill her. Neither principal made it to school the next day, but McGuckin still managed to ruin Nix's day with an interview printed in the paper. According to the crier, McGuckin had set himself up as the head of the cross-wielders. This new organization was dedicated to the investigation of paranormal events in Woods Cross and the surrounding areas. Its mission statement was basically to find people possessed by demons and pound them with crucifixes until they were saved. How very clever of Obelis to disguise his own followers as demon hunters. Then McGuckin finished up the interview with the revelation that one of the students at Cross High was currently possessed by a demon, which granted powers of telekinesis and prognostication, seeing the future, Jordan clarified. The rather lengthy article finished with McGuckin vowing to expose, exercise, and rescue the possessed student no matter the cost. Nix felt some satisfaction that his first attempt to rescue her had ended with him in the hospital. If only he would carry Fawn's scissors around with him so Nix could sense him coming. Are you feeling okay? Nix asked in first period. Ms. Winkle dropped a midterm exam on Nix's desk. Wonderful, thanks. She didn't look wonderful. She looked like a sick woman trying not to look sick. How had Nix not noticed it before? At least today, everything seemed symmetrical below the neckline. The test was straightforward. Anyone who'd listened in class could have aced it easily. Nix figured she might manage a C. She spent most of her time sweating and making teeth marks on her pencil. Meanwhile, Jordan lazily filled in the bubble sheet, clearly bored. He'd probably memorized the book over the weekend. None of the other tests that day went any better. Nix was finally starting to realize just how distracted she'd been this year. Well, no, she'd already realized that. What she was just realizing was that her second sophomore year was going to be mortifying and wretched. But even the prospect of redoing 10th grade didn't put a damper on her excitement for rehearsal that afternoon. She'd only missed one day, but she couldn't wait to be with the cast again. Finally, the last growl sounded. Nix wolfed down the remains of her home ec midterm, Dutch apple pie, and practically ran to the auditorium. Not so fast, por favor, Jordan called. I had to finish four girls' pies, and I'm feeling a bit queasy. Nix paused to let Jordan catch up. Tiago and Sarah appeared, holding hands. Apparently, the relationship was no longer secret. While it was painful to see Tiago's delicate fingers entwined in someone else's, at least they weren't fawns. Naturally, that's when Nick smelled the sweet, flowery scent. A horde of girls passed and disappeared into the auditorium. Tiago raised his eyebrows. I guess Fonz decided to start coming to practices again. Nick slowed her pace so she could be in step with him. 
She thought furiously for something funny or intelligent to say. Nothing came. She ended up grinning stupidly. He smiled back, and Nix fell off the sidewalk. Jordan had been right about Mrs. Finkbone's new manner. She was a different person now, shouting direction and encouragement at regular intervals, seamlessly moving the cast through the various stations, and finally getting everyone together to do a full run-through with music. Music? Um, Mrs. Finkbone, Nick said, we can't really do music today. Beryl has to work on Tuesdays and Fridays. The thin woman shrugged and gestured toward the piano where a small girl with sunglasses warmed up with a series of self-inflicted slaps. Good to have you back, Mrs. Finkbone whispered to Nix. Walter Snodgrass was horrible as the plankton queen. Nix smiled and shuffled toward the piano. Hi, Beryl, she said, surprised she didn't have to fake the enthusiasm in her voice. How about that? She really did like the girl. Beryl stuck a finger in her nose and waved with the remaining digits. Nix was so excited to be there, she might have done it back, had there not been a chance Tiago would see. Instead, she waved in the more conventional manner. I'm glad you got your schedule changed, Nick said. Did Dibble move you to weekends? Actually, I got nixed. You got what? Beryl took out a blue magic marker and drew a mustache on herself. You know, fired. I figured it was doubly ironic because it's what happened to you, plus that's what your name means. That's not what my name means, Nix let a little irritation into her voice, but it quickly evaporated. He fired you? Why? Beryl shrugged and offered Nix the marker. No thanks. Sorry you're out of a job. It seemed strange that Dibble would be on such a firing streak lately, but it wasn't really any of Nix's business, especially since Beryl didn't seem to care. Nix was about to take her place for the full run-through when she noticed a solitary drop of moisture slide under the sunglasses and onto Beryl's lip. A bead of sweat? Or was the unflappable Beryl actually upset? Nix had to look twice. It was a lot easier to tell crying from sweating when you could gauge the redness of the eyes. Nick stared brazenly for a moment until Beryl's nose started to run. She was crying. Maybe that's why Beryl never took off the sunglasses. They were great for hiding emotions. You could cry all day and everyone would leave you alone. Everyone except Nick's whack. She sat next to Beryl on the piano bench. I'm sure it was nothing you did. Mr. Dibble's just weird. Students gathered on the stage. Beryl shook her head. Find me afterward, Nick whispered. She gave Beryl's shoulder a squeeze in what she hoped was a friendly, reassuring way. Last month, Nix might have been pleased to see the tables turned on Beryl, but now that the girl had become something resembling a friend, a fiery sense of injustice welled up inside Nix. Dibble had just moved from her bad list to her list of people she wanted to cage fight with. Before Nix could make any concrete plans to get Dibble in the ring, Mrs. Finkbone sent the kids scrambling to their places. The excitement was palpable. For a moment, Nix allowed herself to forget about taco stands, failing grades, and even demon principles. She was the plankton queen, and so far she'd done a smashing job, even if she did say so herself. Sadly, rehearsal seemed to go a lot slower now that Nix wasn't running the script station. She had enjoyed reading parts and supplying forgotten lines. She had been their safety harness. Now back to her own two measly lines, she kept busy watching Tiago and laughing at Jordan's impression of Fawn trying to get her wetsuit on over her clothes. The complete run-through had serious problems, but seeing it all together with the music injected the cast with a bolt of emotional lightning. If they could get this polished, it was going to be good. Outside on the curb as they waited for rides, Nix reluctantly excused herself from Sarah and Tiago's conversation 
and made her way to where Beryl sat drumming her hands on the top of her head, her mouth supplying the sound effects. Nick sat. Do you want to tell me what happened? Beryl looked like she'd rather go on making music with her skull, but sighed and dropped her arms. I'm not sure. I was doing everything right. I thought I did a spectacular job training. In fact, I was thinking Don would probably give me a raise soon. Wait, he hired someone else? Some sixth grader. She was pretty dense, if you ask me. Didn't even know how to use a sour cream gun. Was it coincidence Nix had been fired in almost the same circumstances? She'd expected a raise and instead was asked to train her replacement. But why would Mr. Dibble go through employees so quickly? Wouldn't he want the least amount of people possible to know his horse meat secret? He didn't give you any kind of reason or anything? Nix asked. Well, he did say I was late a lot. I think he was talking about the time he changed my schedule without telling me. Anger bubbled up inside Nix once more. Sounds like Dibble. Why would an employer make up reasons to fire someone? It almost seemed like a pattern. Nix hadn't thought much about it at the time, but her own trainer got fired as well, only two days after Nix started. But what did all three of them have in common? Did they all do something to offend him, like ask for more money? You said you were expecting a raise, Nix chewed off a thumbnail. Did you actually ask him about it? Beryl shook her head. You can't think of anything you might have said to make him mad? Well, last week, I guess I did tell him I needed the money he owed me. He borrowed money from you? No, he hadn't paid me since I started working there. Nothing? He kept saying he was behind, that he was going to get the paperwork up to date soon, that he'd write me a check. Let me guess, you never got it. My dad went down to talk to him, but I guess since it was under the counter and we didn't sign any papers, we'd have to sue him to get it. I told my dad the $200 or so wasn't worth it, so I just kept the hat as compensation. Nix laughed. He really did love that hat. I'm thinking about wearing it to school one of these days. So that was Mr. Dibble's game. When times were hard and he was behind on his payroll, all he had to do was come up with some bogus reason to fire his worker and start cheating the next one free labor. Except he was probably making a pretty penny giving tours of his creepy old murder mansion. Was he just flaunting the labor laws because he could? Well, at least you have more time for the musical, Nick said. Yeah, but I kind of like working. People actually talk to me like I know something and they don't mind if I act silly. Nix didn't know what to say. She knew what it felt like to be fired unjustly and to be cheated out of weeks of labor. But if Beryl's dad was right, how is anyone supposed to keep Dibble from doing it again? Apart from warning everyone in Woods Cross, the only way to protect them would be to close down Paco's Tacos. Nix felt a chill as she realized she could do just that. She held one secret she'd gotten without any ghost spying. Still, putting someone out of business was a big deal. Before she went ruining any more people's lives, she would give Dibble a chance to make it right. Beryl, do you have any plans for tomorrow morning? Class? No school tomorrow. Teacher in service. Beryl played a pretend clarinet for a full 30 seconds. I was thinking we could take a little trip together. Maybe go get some Mexican food. Agent Gary Lip joined the Cherries for dinner that night. Apparently, Andy bumped into him at the market. After a brief incident in which Gary knocked over a display of cakes trying to escape, he settled down and agreed to stop by to mend some fences. They couldn't really discuss anything important with Vaughn present, but the cherries fed him enough spaghetti and ice cream to almost make up for kidnapping him and dumping him in a porta potty. Once Vaughn had cleared her plate and left the kitchen, a new, quieter conversation began. 
Why aren't you with your family? Nix asked. Did Homeland Security send you back here after everything that happened? Gary fixed Nix with a startling gaze. My family has been moved to a safe location, unknown even to me. The director offered me a month's leave and I took it. Patrick looked at him askance. I'm here on my own, so I don't have to follow procedure or report to my superiors. And what exactly, Nix asked, are you planning for your Woods Cross getaway? Gary reached into his bag, pulled out a thick notebook, and slapped it onto the table. I'm writing a book. The working title is How I Saved a Sleepy Town from the Devil. Nix burst into laughter. She knew it was rude, but she couldn't help it. The very idea, he was like a naive, less conniving version of MacGuckin. Gary laughed along with Nix, and the cherries half-heartedly joined in. Nix wiped her eyes with her napkin. So, if I understand correctly, you are planning to help me get rid of the demon influence first? Wouldn't make a very good story if I didn't. To Nix's surprise, more tears welled up in her eyes. Only these weren't from laughter. Until that moment, Nix hadn't been conscious of just how alone she felt. Sure, Jordan would always be on her side. But all the adults that knew of her abilities and the danger had basically abandoned her to figure it out on her own. Even if Gary had no idea what he was doing, he wasn't a teenager. He could stay out past curfew, beat up other adults as needed, and maybe even think of the things she and Jordan hadn't. I'm sorry, Gary said. I didn't mean to. Nick stood, wrapped her arms around Gary's neck, and sniffled into his shoulder. The cherries looked extremely uncomfortable, and rightly so. They had decided to take the coward's way out. Gary gave Nix his personal email and cell number. Call me any time, day or night. Actually, I'll give you my landline just in case. Nix turned over the napkin and readied her pen. Where are you staying? One Gallows Hill Lane. Andy dropped her spoon. Ice cream splattered the table. Gary blinked. What, too far? I wasn't excited about the drive up and down the hill every day, but you can't beat the price per square footage. One hundred and eighty thousand. I paid the owner cash for it yesterday. Very nice man. He finally seemed to notice the three blank stares directly at him. Have you met Don Dibble? Welp, so much for trusting Gary's instincts. Andy studied Gary as if it were the last time she'd see him alive. You'll have plenty to write about. Fawn wandered into the kitchen for a Diet Pepsi, prompting Gary to say his goodbyes and whisper to Nix, We'll talk soon. Nix was brushing her teeth when Fawn entered and closed the bathroom door behind her. Nix froze, toothpaste foam dripping down her jaw. What were you and Pat talking about? Nick spat and swished, trying to think of something plausible to tell her. After drying her mouth with her arm, she said, Gary was just telling us about, not tonight, yesterday, about the newspaper article. And before you make up some stupid lie, I heard the whole conversation while I was sweeping. My iPod wasn't on. Tell me exactly what the Sfincher witch said when she was here. Nick sighed. She supposed there wasn't any reason not to tell her. Fine, but can we go in my room? My legs are killing me from being on my feet all day. For once, Fawn didn't make a comment about Nix's weight. Apparently, it was only in public that she enjoyed ripping apart Nix's body image. Nix sat on her bed, and Fawn half sat on the edge of the nightstand. What do you want to know? Nix asked. It was really weird to speak to Fawn like a normal person, instead of shouting across the auditorium at her. I already told you, Fawn said. Do I have to write it down? What did the woman... Okay, fine, no need to get fawnish. Oops, that just slipped out. Fawn's eyes grew small and cold. Well, colder, anyway. She looked like she was debating whether to leave or start a clawing match. I'm sorry, Nick said. I spend too much time with Jordan. He's eroded my social skills. Fawn's shoulders relaxed a bit. Can we speed this up? 
I've got to get up early tomorrow. Then she seemed to think better of her rudeness and added, Heidi's older brother is driving a bunch of us to the shore. There was clearly no invite coming, not that Nix wanted one, so she spilled her guts. She divulged the details of Inky's second visit, the woman's plans to roast fawn over the flames of public scrutiny, and Nix's efforts to instead cast Brian as the villain. If Fawn disapproved of Nix throwing Brian under the bus, she didn't say anything. She simply stood listening with a perpetual scowl. Of course, it was a devastatingly pretty scowl. Do you swear that's what happened? Fawn asked. Nix felt a wave of irritation but managed to keep her cool. Having a semi-polite conversation with Fawn felt like befriending a wolf. Terrifying but not completely unpleasant. Hopefully Nix didn't end up in anyone's belly. I told you everything I remember. You can believe it or not. Fawn nodded, which was apparently as close to a thank you as Nix was going to get, and retreated to her own bedroom. Wednesday dawned, warm and balmy. Nix met Beryl a few blocks from the taco stand, and together they went to face their ex-employer. Dibble seemed confused at first, and kept giving Beryl second looks, probably wondering why she had a blue mustache. After Nix divulged the reason for the visit, Dibble's response was predictable. He first denied owing either of them anything and then quickly changed tactics, explaining why they didn't deserve to be paid for their last few weeks, or in Beryl's case, months, since they'd obviously been stealing, cheating, and generally botching up the works throughout their entire employment. Really, they should be paying him, and if they didn't get off his property right now, he'd call the police and have them jailed for embezzlement. Nix was tempted to call his bluff, or mention the $200,000 transaction for the Abendroth mansion, but at the last moment remembered what she was planning to do. It would be less suspicious if she didn't seem to harbor any notions of revenge. Instead, much to Beryl's obvious confusion and irritation, Nix played the contrite, repressed worker, asking for forgiveness and requesting that the authorities please not be called. By some holy miracle, Mr. Dibble took compassion on them and didn't actually call the police. Instead, he sent them on their way, admonishing them to work a little harder for their future employers, and if they were going to steal, at least try to not get caught. By the time they left, Beryl was seething. What the hot tamale was the point of all that? I thought we were going to lay down the law. Nix desperately wanted to tell Beryl the plan, but she knew it would raise questions about Argus, how he knew so much, and why Nix knew him personally. And as sweet as Beryl was, she didn't seem like the type of person you'd trust with sensitive secrets. I know Dibble's a jerk, Nix said, but your dad's right. There's nothing we can do to get our money. We can't even prove we really worked those... She trailed off as she noticed a small gray dog in the road carrying a shoe in its mouth. Nix whistled, but the dog took off the other way, trotting down the middle of the street. Unbelievable. Beryl wasn't to be distracted. We still could have threatened him or something. She ripped a branch off a perfectly innocent tree. I mean, weren't you the one who burned down Urban X house? Not that I'm saying you'd burn down the taco stand, too, but at least we could scare Donald Dibble Duck, you know? Nix had reached her limit. Let's get one thing straight. I didn't burn down Urban X house. And for that matter, I didn't steal from the cash register. I was using my own money to buy that mentally challenged guy some nachos. Oh, Beryl half-heartedly whacked at some weeds with her tree branch. And as far as Mr. Dibble is concerned, Nix continued in a softer voice, I think his fast food franchise is fizzling anyway. Beryl shrugged and dropped her weapon. I guess I should say sorry for getting you fired then. It's okay, Nix said with a weary sigh. It was actually the first day of the less crappy version of my life. So you're saying you're constipated? 